Welcome back to the Strong Mamas Podcast, a mind, body, nutrition, and fitness podcast for women living with Hashimoto's and PCOS. I am your host, Natalie Guevara, certified nutrition and fitness professional with a specialty in female metabolism, hormones, and functional nutrition. I have dedicated not only my career, but my life to understanding the unique needs of women dealing with thyroid dysfunction and PCOS after my own journey and struggle. I'm an advocate for health, fitness, nutrition, lifestyle, and mindset to help you find freedom and confidence in your body and in your life. This podcast is the place for knowledge, conversation, community, and inspiration. Let's dive right in together. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Strong Mamas podcast. Today we have, well, we have two guests. The little guy might wake up and join us here in a moment, but we have a really special guest on the show. Uh, Daria, I'm going to let you take the mic and introduce yourself and tell us all about you, what you do. um, And we're going to dive into a little bit of your story today. Yay. Thank you so much. It's really, really exciting to be here. And if we're getting a head count on guests, I have two cats behind me. So um, there's a lot of us here in this in this room today. And what I do is I help plant-based athletes practice radical self-trust by eating and training without rules or restrictions. And I do this through my program called Trailblazing Strength. And, um, and I would say that a cornerstone of the program and of most of what I talk about online is essentially unlearning all of the things that you feel like you need to master when it comes to maximizing your performance as a plant-based athlete. And I'm talking about like macros, getting X amount of workouts in every week, um, body composition, all of that stuff, kind of loosening your grip on the numbers, leaning into how you feel and using radical self-trust and radical self-love as a way of reaching your fitness goals. I love that. And a couple of things, um, because I know that your personal journey and your personal story has directly influenced how you've gotten here and how you were able to show up so authentically and serve your audience. Um, Just so the audience knows, uh, Daria and I are in a mentorship program together. And so I do know a little bit about her journey, but I want to make sure that I I, I give space for her to share all of it because it's... um, it's something that we need to see more of in the health and fitness space. (laughs) Rather, I call it, you know, the sheep just leading the shepherd. This is more of like the black sheep jumping out into the field, kind of doing their own thing. And I love it. But so that, uh, because I think it's really interesting. First of all, I want you to define what, what an athlete is, because I hear so many folks that, um, you know, for my, and I'm not going to throw my definition in there. I'm going to let this be yours, but I hear so many people that are afraid of being an athlete that in my book definitely are. So I'd love to know how you define that. I love that question. I, I want to keep it really simple. And in, you know, in my experience and in my opinion, an athlete is really somebody that, um, simply values performance over appearance. So somebody that is moving their body because, they want to feel differently in it. They want to better understand what their body's capable of. They want to maybe, um, you know, push their body to a new limit, regardless of 
how it might end up, um, you know, manifesting physically. So to me, being an athlete is, is pretty much that, that simple. I love the simplicity of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so important for more people to be able to raise their hands and say, yes, I am actually an, an athlete and it doesn't have to do with any kind of, um, really major performance goal. It literally could be to, to, to walk this earth a little bit more confident and a little bit more pain-free. So I love that. Absolutely. The other yeah. And the other piece that you mentioned is you talk about like this radical self-love and this radical self-trust. Um, explain that a little bit more to listeners. What does that mean? And what does it, what does it mean or feel like to embody the, these principles or these, these pillars of, of what you're sharing with folks? Oh, I love this question. Okay. So in terms of what is radical self-trust and what is radical self-love? Um, I, I think that you know, I, I think a lot of us, I'm going to kind of split this in half. I'm going to, I'm going to ignore the word radical for a second and maybe talk a little bit about self-trust and self-love and um, kind of go back to what I was saying just a moment ago in that I believe, you know, we were all kind of born knowing ourselves. We were all born trusting the decisions that we made and, the, you know, that we, that we began to make in our lives. And, um, you know, we all, we were all born kind of accepting our bodies, you know, you never, you never really hear about a young child feeling like something doesn't look good on them or like their stomach is too big, you know, so, so um, in my opinion, I, I think that self-love and self-trust is really just this process of unlearning all of the things that cause you to doubt yourself all of the things you feel like you need, um, all of, you know, the apps, the trackers, the books, the coaches, the Facebook groups that you really lean on in order to tell you how to feel, in order to validate your efforts, and in order to make you feel like you're checking off all the boxes, and to instead um, really look inward and expand inwards and get a better sense of who you really are, why that really matters, and how identifying your true self is actually going to make the journey of reaching your fitness goals a lot more enjoyable and a lot more sustainable. And I think it will, you know, it, I, this concept in and of itself, I think is a huge game changer for everyone. But I think for, you know, athletes in particular, because I know that athletes are, very critical of themselves, very much hung up on how others view them. So I, I know that, you know, all of, you know, both of our worlds, the world that, that, that you kind of operate in and the world that I kind of operate in, um, we as coaches are always kind of trying to help people cut through the noise, right? So the idea of self-trust and self-love is this, this concept of you having the answers inside of you and us as your coach really helping you strip away the stuff, the people, the thoughts, the situations that you don't need in order to kind of identify that power within you. And, um, and I love using the word radical because I think this idea in and of itself is radical right? When you think about all of the influences, influences in our life from, um, you know, advertisements to social media to comments from our mom about how we gained weight, you know, we, we, 
we are kind of stuck in this matrix, if you will. Not, I'm not going to get too too trippy and go down too much of a rabbit hole with you, but I think that you know there are, are a lot of things that are affecting us subconsciously in society and in media that are preventing us from loving ourselves. So what we need here is a radical shift. We need to really, really think about the way in which we're talking to ourselves and the way in which we're taking in the opinions of others and um, radically reevaluate that. So, okay, so there's a, there's a lot in there, but rewinding back to where you started, I think is, is something that's really powerful and really needs to be just hammered into people is the fact that we learned, we learned through conditioning to not trust ourselves, to not love our bodies, to in, in a way through this, this shift of not having this this trust, this, this innate ability to know what's going on with our bodies and to not, um, to not respect our bodies in a way to, to actually, we learn to not care for our bodies. And so a lot of our quote mission, as we get older, you know, just, just as we age, um, you know, whether your goal is to transform your performance in the gym, to transform your health, or it's just weight loss, you have to unlearn all this crap that we've spent decades learning. And I think that this is a really hard shift for so many folks to make, but it really is where, where the magic, the magic lies. And what's interesting about what Daria is sharing is uh, I was at another conference in was it October of 2020, I believe. And this speaker had gone around the room and asked us, you know, what we want to be known for. And, you know, I was like really shy because all these people had these like big, big, bold plans. And my answer was literally, I want to be a disruptor. And so that's kind of the energy that I think uh, Daria puts off is like, someone has got to show up and be really loud. And you guys can't see her right now, but she's wearing a neon shirt. So that fits be really, really loud and say like, I'm disrupting this. There are so many people saying, do this this and this to shrink your body. Whereas that's not the answer. Mm. So I think that this is a perfect segue into you sharing your evolution. Cause I know you've done a huge shift, a huge transformation recently to kind of share your pathway to getting to where you are a disruptor and where you are leading people through this really powerful journey. Yes. I, I love this question. Absolutely. And, um, and, you know, I think that my, so, so my history before I became, you know, a coach a few years ago, my background is mostly in, in making theater and in nonprofit work and in activism and fundraising and all of that um, really exciting stuff that I still find to be very, very fulfilling. And then when I decided to move into the world of coaching. Um, I, you know, my, my main focus was mostly on working with individuals who are plant-based or who want to go plant-based um, because I myself am plant-based and, you know, all of the social justice implications, I think, of going plant-based really motivated me. And I, so, so you know, in, in becoming a coach, what I really wanted to do was make the world a better place by trying to get more people to go plant-based. Sounds very idealistic here, but that was always really my goal was to, um, was to really increase this idea and this accessibility of going plant-based to all different kinds of people, athletes in particular. 
Um, so from there, what happened was I got all of the certifications I needed to get to be a personal trainer, to be a nutrition coach. I decided to create this program that was very much focused on the external, like maximizing your strength and your speed by um, tracking your macros, by exercising a very certain way, um, and by checking off all the boxes. And really, it's because when I went from being this writer and this activist um, and this very heart-centered person, and I stepped outside of my comfort zone to become this coach, I really felt like I needed to become the person, the people that I was following online. You know what I mean? Like, you know, talk about losing fat in your midsection, talk about, um, you know, like just, just very superficial things. Um, I was operating solely from a place of now I'm a coach. So the things I say have to look a certain way and they have to be a certain way. And this poet, activist, heart-centered person can maybe come out in due time. Let's just do it the right way first. And, um, and that sucked. That was, <laughs> that was, it was just very hard. Honestly, I felt like I never knew what to say. I was always afraid of saying the wrong thing. I in many ways felt had that like imposter syndrome where I, you know, was not certain if I was making an impact on the people I was talking to. So I was kind of just stalling or spinning out, trying to be the coach I thought I needed to be. And, um, you know, through, through the work that you and I do together in the mentorship that we're both in, that's really where I learned that there is no formula. There is no right way to do literally anything. And that includes reaching your fitness goals, right? Well, so I, think, I think that there is a right way and the right way is your <laughs> own way, right? Well, yeah. Yes. I love that. Absolutely. So, you know, for me, um, you know, just, just through this process of thinking that I could, that, you know, the, that the, that, that the way that was most aligned for me actually would required me to do what I now preach others do really take a look at myself, take a look at my eating habits, take a look at whether or not I, enjoy tracking macros, which is something that I did at the time. And, you know, in, in trying to find a new way to lead others, obviously that invites you to take a look at yourself, right. And take a look right. at what you're doing. So or it should, it right. should, right. If you're in an open and honest communication with yourself and your work, that's usually what happens. So, um, so I, I, you know, at that point I started switching from this macro approach to this more intuitive eating approach, thinking that I could do that and um, help others as they needed to be helped, but also continue to track macros myself. So I tried that for a little bit and um, that made it difficult for me to track, to help people who were practicing intuitive eating because I had no experience in what I was helping others kind of navigate. And that also kind of led me to um, experiencing a lot of frustration for the first time in years when it came to tracking macros. And it, 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 it I was just kind of always feeling like 
if I'm going to go deep with my clients, if I'm going to invite them to really go deep with themselves to kind of, you know, pinpoint some of these subconscious patterns that are falling into, then I should really reevaluate the safety nets that I'm using in my life. And the things, the self-soothing things and apps and numbers that I'm allowing to determine whether or not today was going to be a good day or a bad. So, right. Yeah. Say that again, though, a safety oh, net. A so safety net, yes. Go into a little bit more detail on that, because I think that that's really important for people, because I know I see that in my clients all the time, and it's definitely something that I've utilized in my own journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and, and I think this answers the question of like where I'm at right now too, in that, so we have this safety net, right? Where we feel like if we, if we hit our protein goals, if we get our steps in, if we, you know, work out a certain number of times a week, then we will be able to control the outcome of all of our efforts. Right. But in reality, I think the outcome of our efforts are, not as easily measurable as we deem them to be. And, um, and the outcome of our efforts are not really something that we can control because there's a lot of things that play a part in, you know, your overall performance or in your, you know, your weight loss goals that are just not trackable, right? So I, I find that we often seek control and in seeking control, we track everything. And then, you know, if the numbers add up, then like we give ourselves a gold star. And when they inevitably stop adding up because that behavior is not really sustainable, then, you know, cue the motivation loss, cue the disordered eating patterns, um, you know, cue the, you know, self-sabotage. So, so it really is, I think, just tracking all of these things is I think really just a safety net and kind of this illusion of of control and it allows you to not look inward to determine how you feel but to rather place that responsibility on an on a number right tell you how to feel and for me it was really the scale for a very long period of time so when I finally decided to you know pull the rug out from under myself stop weighing myself stop tracking macros it was an awful experience and I'm <laughs> still in it. Um, it's really, really scary. I didn't, I, I genuinely did not realize how I was waking up every day, stepping on a scale and allowing that number to sh- shame me or to make me feel like I'm a good person. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, The interesting thing about that is it's, um, I mean, it's kind of like a placebo effect because we do it, we do it with, um, you know, tracking our macros or we even do it with our fitness watches, right? We're like, this is what that says. So this, this is how I should feel. And so we should ourselves. And then we, you know, the shame comes from one thing of, oh, I'm a terrible person because I didn't hit my numbers or the scale says this. And then we're also a terrible person because I hit my numbers my fitness tracker says this, the scale still said this, so I'm still a terrible person. Um, and so it's just this, I call it the shame tunnel. It's just vicious over and over and over again, uh, which ultimately guys, if you're not reading into this, this vicious cycle is the yo-yo you're just creating this massive yo-yo of start and then stop because it takes us 
a, a time period when we continue to, to shame ourselves and, you know, the motivation drops and all these things, eventually you will stop. And so it takes some time for you to recharge and, you know, honestly forget, um, you know, how crappy you made yourself feel in order to restart. And then you just do it again and again and again until you start to do something gasp different and start to break the cycle, which is, you know, directly what Darius, Darius sitting in the fire, <laughs> breaking that cycle. Yeah. And it's really different. And I feel more alive and more like an actual human person and more open and more capable of being compassionate with myself and with others. Like it has honestly changed the way that I view myself and, and has allowed me the opportunity to actually take a step back and look at the way that I'm talking to myself and, um, and of course help others do the same. So, so, so I, I think in the very beginning, switching from this overly controlled to this very kind of loose way of living is, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people hearing this are probably a little triggered and a lot of freaked yeah. out by the thought of just even doing that. Um, and it is scary. It's really scary, but you learn so much about yourself in such a short period of time that it's, it's invaluable. But I think it's important also for folks to recognize, I always tell, I always tell my listeners and my clients that I'm not a unicorn. You know, I think, a, I think a lot of these Fitspo people have created this, this whole unicorn pedestal of, you know, they've always had everything figured out and blah, blah, blah. And it's just bullshit. Um, but, you know, to recognize like what Darius said was that this is uncomfortable and this is hard but she also feels more alive than she's ever felt before. And so what's really important for people to recognize is in, in our society, we are also conditioned and, and also what's just a part of our ego and our brain and the way we're wired to like, if something's uncomfortable and something's hard, that means that it's not meant for us. Mm-hmm. And that's not at all true. You know, when we're really trying to create this, this shift and we're tr- truly trying to line up with the best version of ourselves, there's always gonna be duality. And so the fact that something's hard and uncomfortable doesn't mean that it can't simultaneously feel like the best that you've ever flipping felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's like really important because I, you know, going back to the safety net and the crutches is people are so familiar and so connected to the way that they make that, the way that makes them feel that they don't even fully recognize that it's that crappy. Like we're addicted to feeling like crap about ourselves. And that's, uh, you know, a really big thing that we also need to normalize, like shifting away from. Yes. Yeah. I I think that's such a great, great, great point. And I think that so often we feel like we need to, we need to become someone else in order to have the life that we want. And I, I feel like I've even said that. Yeah. Um, but what I'm really realizing, and I, you know, to kind of tie back what I was saying earlier, how I was this like writer and this activist and this heart-centered person, and then I kind of buried that a little bit. I'm realizing that all of those things about me that I tried to bury are now what is allowing me to really come into into my own as a coach and to have something really interesting and unique to say and um, and. 
and it really allows me, you know, when I'm working out, when I'm cooking a healthy meal, when I'm, um, you know, debating whether or not to get that second or third helping of, of food, it, 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 it allows me to anchor back into who I really am and to what I really care about and what I really value. And I'm now much better at being able to identify opportunities that aren't for me. You know what I mean? Um, food that isn't for me, food that I know is going to make me, um, you know, uncomfortable or feel bad. Like it just, this idea of unsubscribing from diet culture, I think really allows you to kind of, um, you know, pick up an inconsistencies in your own life and really like lean into who you are so that you don't feel like you have to become a different person or a different coach. And so, uh, so this has definitely influenced how you're showing up as a coach, as a disruptor. <laughs> um, how is this showing up, you know, amongst the discomfort and feeling alive? How is this showing up in your day-to-day -day life? Um, you've mentioned the choices, but how are you just feeling overall? And share a little bit about the ebbs and the flows, because I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not just like straight up, you know, we're going up the, the rainbow to, to find the unicorn cloud. <laughs> No, no, I was, I was inching my way up the rainbow. And then I realized that the rainbow is just another one of those illusions. And there is no unicorn and there is no cloud. Um, and, you know, quite honestly, oh, we have a little baby here. Ooh. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Just, he's, he's done with napping. <laughs> very distracting. What, what a lovely little quiet boy. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I can tell you this, I can tell you, I gained about eight pounds and I feel every one of those pounds and just through, you know, me, myself in gaining that bit of weight, I have felt every emotion from shame to fear, to lack of motivation to work out. Um, and it has made me really uncomfortable. And I think what it has allowed me to do is reevaluate why I'm so uncomfortable with gaining eight pounds, eight pounds that maybe no one really even notices. So if it, so, so, and that's really the dichotomy here. Um, so, you know, there is this idea that if you let go of control, then your body may, you may gain weight, you may lose weight you may stay exactly the same. And that's, I think, really, really unnerving. And through, but through the process of our body changing and kind of doing what it needs to do, when it needs to do it, you start to really question everything when you're looking at it from this lens. So for example, like I, I never thought of myself as someone that was fat phobic until I gained a few pounds and thought my entire life was over. And I had to, gave me the opportunity to really like look into what it is that I value and question if I am as like, you know, woke as I thought I was. And that might sound ridiculous to some people, but it's true. You know, like I, I have really used this as an opportunity to question everything I believed in and to detach myself or to try to detach myself from the, the weight that I do or do not gain. And that's been an interesting process. And, um, and I think that what's really exciting about this 
is that I am feeling a range of emotions on a daily basis that I hadn't experienced for years. So my joy is a lot, a lot more, I think, profound and exciting. And, and, you know, in times when I am feeling, you know, miserable for whatever reason, that is really more profound and also exciting in its own way. So, so there are lots of ebbs and flows. It's not a walk in the park, but I feel more alive and more powerful and more, you know, anti-establishment, if you will, than I had ever felt even doing nonprofit and social justice work. So did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that was great because I, like, again, <laughs> so, so many things I'm like, where do I want to go here? Um, I think the fat phobia thing actually is something that's, that is, is super important. Cause I know I've, I've definitely experienced that. And to be honest, like I literally just had a baby two weeks ago. Um, and you know, I would love to be able to tell every single person that I'm so flipping confident in my body, like the whole nine months, I knew I was growing a human being, <laughs> but it's still like, you know, stepping on the scale and being like, oh my gosh, why is that number going up? Right. Um, it's just a really, really interesting thing to, to, to witness, um, in my own self. Cause I've, you know, also considered myself to be fairly body positive and all that stuff throughout the years, but it just really amplifies like the conditioning of how we perceive these stupid numbers or how we are trained to perceive our bodies. Um, and, and so, you know, it's just continues to, to reiterate the fact that, that we have to continue to do the work. However, I also find it interesting, the more that I like do like continuing education in the nutrition and fitness space. And, um, that's a conversation for another day, but I, you know, my belief is, is that it continues to condition us as coaches to be fat phobic, honestly. Um, however, I can hear in the back of my head, you know, the people that are listening to this that say, but you know, for health reasons, I really have to lose, um, you know, 50 pounds, maybe even a hundred pounds. What words of encouragement do you have for those folks that feel that they are, that they need, um, the crutches or the, the safety nets in order to make that a reality. And even though in your own personal journey, you know, you've, you've gained eight pounds, um, how can you see the work that you're doing actually help folks get to where they want to be rather than them being fearful that they'll continue to put on weight, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. That's such a great question. Well, I think a lot of the individuals that, you know, feel like they need to, to lose weight for health reasons, um, a lot of them have tried tracking macros. A lot of them have tried counting calories. They've tried Weight Watchers. They have tried every diet that I tried in my life. And those diets and those approaches um, more often than not have, have failed them. So, so I think that there is a world in which you, you relinquish this idea that you need to just get better at tracking macros. You just need to have more self-discipline. You need to continue to like beat this square peg into this circular hole until finally, like all the edges are just, are just, you know, have fallen off and it, and it works. Um, that's just never going to happen. Right. So, so the idea of eating from a more intuitive approach and the idea of 
getting a better handle on the subconscious thought patterns you have that lead you to eat the way that you eat, that lead you to eat past the point of fullness, right? That lead you to um, you know, mindlessly eat food in front of the TV or feel like you have no self-control around snacks, like, like all of the tools that we usually try, like tracking macros, weight watchers, this, that, numbers, um, they don't address any of those things. They don't address the entire, you know, the, you know, the root cause of the weight gain in the first place, which is this, you know, all those subconscious patterns that we find ourselves falling in those. So things like macro tracking and stuff like that, I feel like only really, only really help you at the decision level, like when you're consciously making a decision. But a lot of the times individuals who struggle to lose weight are making a lot of subconscious decisions. They're eating things without even realizing they're eating them, right? Um, you know, and then they're uh, fearing certain foods and binging on certain foods. So, so, so I guess all this is to say that, um, you know, if you're trying to lose weight using the same approach that you've tried over and over and over again your entire life and it's not working, you are not the problem. The approach is the problem. So I believe that turning the entire thing on its head and going about this weight loss journey that you that is really important to you in a completely different kind of scary, unsettling way will allow you to reach your goals in a place, in, in a way that is a little bit more sustainable, enjoyable, changes you on a physical level and a more profound level. Um, because I think that you'll realize a lot of the time that, you know, you're eating because you're sad or you're eating because you're bored or, you know, that food that you've restricted, you're actually just going to end up binging on the second that you get your hands on it. So um, I think that answered your question. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. I, I just always find it. Um, cause I definitely do macros is a loose part of what, um, I do in, in my coaching, but it, it always is such a challenging shift. Um, so I always move my, my folks to, to what I refer to as moderation through macros and moving away from this kind of thing, but there's, it's always inevitably met with so much resistance to, but I'm going to wind up gaining weight. And, from my, from my lens, what I see with my own people is we waste a lot of energy and a lot of mental space, like fighting against our bodies, um, these belief systems, rather than moving into this place of self-trust and, and being able to just lean into something different, um, because it, it, it takes, and I don't know why it just takes so much effort to be able to realize that, you know, you've done this for so many years, yet you're still trying to do it to, to like you said, you know, fit something in a hole that doesn't fit. Right. Um, um, so, so yeah, just, just recognizing that, um, you know, just because the marketing tells you that if you try a little bit harder, you're going to get it this time does not make it to be true. Let your body, your history and all of that inform, you know, decisions because if it hasn't worked for 20 years, it's not going to work, you know, this year. And that's a big thing I see with people. Like I've been doing it for 20 years and I'm like, you're here and you're still having this problem. Right. Now, and then and it's so interesting, you know, I know we keep mentioning Weight Watchers, how like pervasive a lot of these things are. Like I always kind of scoffed at people that did like Jenny Craig while I was doing Weight Watchers or scoffed at people 
that were, um, you know, like buying meal replacement shakes. When I was religiously tracking my macros and not even paying attention to how I felt, right? So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge and maybe get maybe get your take here on um, on how how pervasive this a lot of these sneaky kind of diet culture things are in our life and. Um, and I'm specifically curious to know what you think is, you know, as a mom, <clears throat> as a, as a mom, like how, how can, how can you kind of, um, or rather, how do you navigate that landscape as a mom? Because I know that, you know, you're essentially trying to love your body in the new shape that it's taken be grateful for all that it has given you in your life, but you're also trying to like navigate these ads that are telling you to like, like, you know, lose your baby belly fat and all this okay. stuff. So what's your take on this? Like, how do you identify what to listen to and what not to listen to? That's really interesting. And I, I'm going to start with the the part where you were talking about how like essentially <laughs> you're like mentally shaming people that are doing Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig's while you're religiously tracking your macros. Because that's interesting because I've definitely been there and I don't know that I've ever really thought about it that way. But calling out the fact that as human beings, we naturally have bias. And so one of the first steps that you can, can take to, to just being more open-minded and actually experiencing things for the better is to recognize that you do have bias and that's okay. Um, you know, it's more than okay. It's, it's, it's natural, but the other piece to that is, is, is also recognizing, like I was talking about with Daria and it being uncomfortable and also her feeling alive is that especially for, you know, postpartum for me, what I've really had to come to terms with or be okay with is the fact that you can want to change your body. You can grieve your old body and still accept where you are and still appreciate your body. And I think that's true, whether you're postpartum or, you know, you, you have weight that you want or need to lose. Um, but you know, for me, something that's been really, really interesting is I kind of took a social media hiatus for the first two weeks postpartum. Cause you know, I didn't want to <laughs> live the first two weeks through the lens of a camera or Instagram stories, but something that was really interesting and actually really sad was some of the very first messages that I got on Instagram when I shared that he was here and all those things was what was I going to start doing in order to lose the pregnancy weight? And I was like, maybe five days postpartum. And so it really, you know, shifted something into me. And then I've started to pay attention to how many ads I get on Instagram and Facebook about this postpartum program. And um, it's really disturbing how much messaging there is out there about get your pre-baby body back and all that. And I can tell you um, from my lens, it's, it's, it's really difficult for me to navigate because I do feel like some, some different tendencies to, to, Hey, like maybe I should be watching what I'm eating a little bit more closely. Now that's not to say that we're over here living off a of cake and ice cream, but you know, the other big thing is, is I'm, I'm breastfeeding, not saying that every person has to do that. Uh, but you know, my first priority is making sure that my body's fed so that I can feed my baby. And, but it becomes challenging when you see all this messaging that's like, um, another big thing is, is I was Googling, 
um, some like easy recipes and snacks for breastfeeding mothers, like as a way to like, cause you know, constantly my hands are full, um, to get nutrition in me. And all I could find was eat this to lose weight while breastfeeding. Like there was nothing that was like, just eat this so that you stay fed. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely terrible. But the other piece that I will say about that, and I, um, I'm a very loose macro tracker, uh, especially because I'm not trying to shift my body is that I do track loosely um, during this, this stage, not as a way to restrict, but for me, it's actually the opposite um, to make sure that I'm eating enough. And so that's, that's one thing that I do see for moms. Um, For me, intuitive eating probably wouldn't work it's best right now because my priorities aren't on me and not saying that that's right, um, but I'm not going to make myself wrong for it either. Um, so, so yeah, I'm not even sure that I answered the question, but, um, yeah, no. And it's, it sounds like you're kind of, you know, you, what you, what you're doing is using macros as, um, you have this toolbox, right. Or this, uh, you know, this, this arsenal of things that you can pick from that are going to help you, um, trust that you're making the right decision. So that's to me what it sounds like you're, what you're doing is you're following the science and you're going with your gut and, um, and you're not necessarily using a tool that you hate using because you feel like you have to. Yeah. And I think it's important to emphasize the word tool, right. um, because, you know, again, it's not, it's not an end all be all and I'm not weighing food and all those things right now, because that's a little bit cumbersome and just not necessary. So when I say loosely tracking, I'm like, cool, I had a meal, um, and there was food in it. So, so that's, that's been a big thing, which kind of, um, leads me to a a follow-up question. You know, we've talked about kind of macros and trackers and all that being a more of a crutch or a safety net for you and moving away from that. In what ways do you think that tracking macros or using these things has helped your ability to be more intuitive? Oh, I love this. This is such a great question. So when I was, when I first transitioned toward a, you know, a plant-based lifestyle, I admittedly had never really thought about food. Like I had never really thought about what I was eating, let alone why I was eating it. I didn't really know anything about macronutrients at all. And, um, and there was a huge learning curve for me. So for me, it was, you know, the saving grace of tracking macros was that it quite literally taught me what was in the food I was eating. Um, and as someone that, you know, is, is newly plant-based, I think that, that can be really helpful. If you're viewing this data as if you somehow have magically found a way to be really kind to yourself and you're viewing this data as, as something that allows you to gain more insight into you know, the, the nutrient density of what you're eating, I think that's amazing. And, and I, you know, for a while that was what was happening with me. And then, you know, of course I can't have anything nice. I had to ruin it and get really obsessive over it. So, so, you know, as, as long as you are able to, I think be objective with the data that you're collecting um, and you're someone who is going plant-based or is looking to just learn about what you're eating for the first time in your life. I think that it can be really, really helpful. And, and, but, you know, to be quite honest, most of the people that I work with, um, 
you know, they already know what they should be eating. They already know how much protein they should be eating, for example, but it's just like never enough. They feel like they're never getting enough protein. And they feel like, you know, the only thing holding them back from that, you know, be, being able to run a little bit faster is increasing their protein intake. So, um, maybe that's just my demographic of people that I serve, but for the most part, I serve people that know what they should be eating and need to, you know, kind of take a, a chill pill and reevaluate why they're obsessing over things that they are obsessing over. Um, and literally, like literally losing sleep over yeah. meeting protein goals and then blaming the protein instead of the lack of sleep. <laughs> yeah. In the gym the next. It's like my. Yeah, but no, whether it's like a, an athlete or someone that's trying to lose weight, it's, it's the, the same story show up, right? Like so many people that are struggling with weight loss in their bodies believe that somehow there there it's like it's just scarcity mindset it's continuing yeah. to to stop them like if i had more willpower more discipline if i could you know restrict more do all these things more then i would get to my goal faster or when they start making progress well if i could just double down and do more of this crappy stuff i'm going to get there faster and it's never ever ever it right. um so yeah so that's like yeah, that's not just your demographic. It shows up, shows up in every single person. And that's, um, it's interesting because I actually recorded a podcast earlier. I always do, a an annual like birthday reflection. Cause that's my new year, new me kind of situation. Um, but the, my, my whole theme was on self-limitations and how many people just continue to vote and surrender for these limitations. And most of them are self-imposed. Um, and that's definitely, you know, something that I've, I've done with myself. And so if we can just break away from this, not enoughness into a, a space of finding enoughness with ourselves, then everything will change. I love that. And I think that, that, you know, to add to that, it's all about, I know that, that you know this, cause we're in the same mentorship, right. But I think it's all about getting really curious around, you know, why you have the goals you have, how you expect to feel once you've achieved those goals, you know, if you can asking yourself, like, if you can, you know, if, if your goal is to lose 15 pounds and you think that it will make you feel really sexy and really empowered, is there a way for you to feel sexy and empowered without losing 15 pounds? Right. Freaking now. Yeah. 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 What, what, what can you do? Have you ever even thought about that before? Do you even believe that you are worthy of feeling sexy and empowered at the weight that you're at now? So like when you start getting really curious, um, and, and like lead from this place of self-compassion and talk to yourself as if you were talking to one of your like besties, then I think you really open this aperture for change to happen on a, not just a physical level, but on a much deeper, on a much deeper level too. And it allows you to really challenge the truth of the situation, right? Like, you know, yeah. um, if I lose these 15 pounds, I'll feel, you know, sexy and amazing. And, you know, my, my love life, my marriage will be so much more fulfilling because I'm able to lose this weight. And then I think, you know, once you start to challenge the fact, um, you know, like 
will that really like be the answer, the be all end all answer to your marriage? You know, is there anything you can do that is not contingent upon your body? Like, do you, is it true that what your husband loves and needs the most from you is your body? Probably not, right? Probably so, not. Yeah. I could go down that path for seven hours. So I'll yeah. see. Yeah. Well, I think that there's so many things that we could continue to go down. Um, this has been like, this has been a bomb episode. I am so stoked for um, people to listen to this and, and to hear the feedback. Uh, one thing that I like to conclude all episodes with guests is um, just kind of an overview. If there's something that someone could take away from this episode and, and we can you kind of already did it, but I'm going to leave opportunity for something else. Um, if they just got, got off of their, whatever they're listening to this on and took one action step today, what would you recommend that be? Mm. I love that. The one action step that I can recommend is after the next meal that you have, ask yourself how that meal made you feel and why it was important for you to feel that way. And I think that you might find, um, you know, feelings of guilt or shame or frustration around that meal. You might find that that meal was really nourishing for you. And it was a way for you to feel complete at the end of a long day, whatever it is, identifying how you feel after you eat helps you often reconcile and better understand some of the emotions that are causing you to eat. So that could look anything like reflecting for a few moments with your eyes closed, meditating, journaling, whatever it is, just get a sense of how you feel after you eat and get curious about why you felt that way. I love that. I love that. Um, well, Daria, please tell listeners where they can find out more about you. Um, you also have a podcast, so share details on that. And we will make sure to link all of these places in the show notes. So if you're driving or walking, please don't <laughs> worry about jotting anything down. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I am on Instagram at power by Daria. And my podcast is called Plant-Based Athletes Anonymous. And it's honestly, I think, a, a really exciting podcast in that I answer questions that were anonymously submitted by plant-based athletes, questions that are pretty embarrassing and that nobody wants to ask out loud. So I'm all about getting, getting uncomfortable, getting vulnerable, and talking about the unsexy side of going plant-based. <laughs> Awesome. And, that's it. and that's it. Awesome. Well, we will link um, your Instagram and you share more information about uh, your program on there and your podcast as well in the show notes. Daria, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and um, coming on and sharing so openly with us today. Uh, we will definitely have to do this again. This was so much fun. Yay. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. This was lovely. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. I would love to connect with you further. So you can find me on Instagram at Natalie Brooke Guevara. If you'd like more information about my coaching program, The Strong Method, you can find all the details at updogwellnessandfitness.com as well as additional resources and free workshops and trainings. 
If you have a few moments, I would love it if you would take time to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. And I can't wait to connect with you again right here next week.